Lord, already it has been rich this morning as we gathered and sang to the Lord our God. What a privilege to know that the Lord loves us. And I want to just thank God from the start for confirmation. Isn't it awesome to know when God confirms that you've been listening and you've heard and he does little things. Yesterday morning, I got up with a sermon I had been working on and I was settled in with. And God just started putting John 3.16 on my heart. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 3. And I'm like, Lord, I've preached that sermon here so many times. Not the exact, but that scripture and John 3.16. And I struggled. You ever struggle with the Lord? Because I had that other one, I had it almost ready to go, and I'm like, Lord, that's not what I felt led to preach. But I just finally said, okay, Lord, and I turned, and I looked at some notes I had from a previous sermon, and I mean, it just like, poof, my heart was resettled, and I said, that's what I'm going to preach. And so this morning, I want to talk to us for a little while about the greatest love story not that ever been told the greatest love story, period, of all time. God's love story. God's salvation for us. And we all know this verse. We've read it, but I think we've heard it so much. It's been put on so many stickers and places. I mean, Tim Tebow put it on his eye, three, John 3.16. But it is an unbelievable message if you take time to think about it. You shouldn't need your Bible to know what it says. But the Bible says, according to Jesus, for God so loved the world, not the church, the world, that he gave his only begotten son, not one of his sons, his only son, that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Father in heaven, I thank you today for the love of God. I thank you for how you speak to your children and for how you show us and you do many little things in life that confirms your love. We read it in the Bible. We sing about it in our singing and worship. But Lord, nothing expresses your love more than the cross, more than the sacrifice that you gave for us so that we might truly know you. And you tell us that We love you because you first loved us and gave your son as a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And Lord, today I pray that you'll speak and remind those who are saved of the great love you have. But even more, Lord, for that person in here who is struggling. Lord, I remember what it was like to be sinking deep with sin and to have you reach down and lift me up. And Lord, I pray today for that person right now who's struggling, who's trying, but he's failing, who's looking for you, but he's not sure who you are, that today he might hear you, he might see you, that he might realize this hour how much you love him. Thank you for loving us. And I pray now for this time in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I don't know about y'all, but I just got to looking at John three sixteen yesterday myself, and I think it's good to get reminded every now and then of how much God loves us. 
I'm not even qualified to speak about the depth of God's love. I want to share what a couple people has said about it. A.W. Tozer said, from God's other known attributes, we may learn much about his love. He said, because God is self-existent, his love has no beginning. No beginning. Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because God is infinite, his love has no limits. And because he is holy, his love is perfect, pure, and spotless. And because he is immense, his love is incomprehensible. We'll never, this side of heaven, understand how much Jesus loves us. We can talk about it. We can sing about it. Thank God, because of grace, we can experience it, but we'll never fully know. An old preacher, Dr. S.M. Lockeridge, says this about this verse. He said, in this one verse of Holy Scripture, we have an ocean contained in a dewdrop. This one small revelation is so deep that a man cannot drink it all in without drowning in its fullness. It's deeper than we can dig. It's higher than we can climb. It's further than we can see. It's longer than we can measure. It's too broad and wide for us to cross over and ever completely comprehend all that it has to say. Yet because it comes from God, every time we hear it again, it benefits us with a simple yet complex message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. There's not anybody in here that would give your only child for another, but God did. And you know, today as we look at this and we kind of dig in, I'm reminded of that old song. Remember what it was like to be without Jesus when you didn't know his love? I was sinking deep with sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. You ever felt like that? Lord, I'm about to go under. I can't take another day like this. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. Do you remember the day you cried out to Jesus? And love reached down. He heard you from the waters, lifted me. Now safe am I. What would make God do that? Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. I don't know about y'all, but I'm glad one day I got tired of my religion. I got tired of church. I got tired of doing it myself. And I said, Lord, here I am, whatever's left of me, if you'll have me, I'll give myself to you. And the Lord saved me. What a wonderful truth to know lives within your heart. Have you ever thought about what would cause the Lord to save us? And you can say because he's good and the Lord is good. Amen. And you can say because he's holy and he's perfect. But even though he is holy, he's righteous and just and we're sinful. And in our sin, God desired to save us. The cause of sin is undeniable. When you look at the Bible, it's everywhere you look. The reason God saved us is because God loves us. He loved us. The cause of salvation, that's the first thing I want to look at. The Bible says God so loved the world. Not the church, not the good people. He loves the bad people. 
as much as he loves the good people. God loves the world. Have you looked at the world lately? (laughs) It's jacked up. (laughs) But God loves the world. In fact, the Bible says this. It, it, It says that in This is love in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We didn't go looking for God. He came and found us. How did he do that? He sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a big word for the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Literally what that verse says, 1 John 4, 10 is, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but God, God loved us. And he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. That's what propitiation, that's what it was. The atoning sacrifice. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2.4 says, But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. Friends, there's nothing that we've ever done that earned God's favor to do what he did for us except that he loved us some preacher said this and I believe it's a great statement he said God does not love us because we're valuable we're valuable because God loves us and I want you to think about that where would you be without the love of God today where would you be if God gave us what we really deserve there's a lot of people said, well, I, I believe when an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm thankful, guys, for grace. How about you? And friends, listen, today as we look, I want to ask you, do you believe in a love that can never change? In a love that is unconditional, that is unfailing and will last forever? Because down here, love that we get to experience in a day-to-day basis is failing many times. It's certainly conditional. (laughs) And very seldom does the love you think you had from your fellow man last forever. Seems like the first time we do something that wasn't what they expected, unconditional goes out the window. The first time you fail them, that love didn't last near as long as you thought it would. But the amazing thing is God's love, the love of God that saves us, the agape love, not the eros love, the sensual type that says, I want you, I desire you. Not the phileo love even that says, I like you, would you be my brother, would you be my friend? But the agape love that's unfailing, that's unconditional, that's everlasting, that simply looks at us no matter of our condition, no matter of how we really are and says, I want to bless you. And I want to do the greatest thing that could ever happen for you. I want to forgive you and I want to save you. So I'm going to send my son. You see, the cause of salvation is unbelievable. That God loved us so much that he sent his only son. But you know what's even harder to think of is the cost of salvation. I can understand God being able to love us. He's God. But the cost of salvation, not only does the Bible say that God so loved the world, but it says that he gave His only begotten son. And I want you to think about this. Romans 8.31 says, 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Friends, if Jesus was willing to go to the cross, and the Bible says, Greater love has no man in this than to lay down his life for his friends. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for one another, the brethren. But friends, listen to this. Jesus shed his blood for us, gave his life for us, but the Father sent him to us. You ever really study out the scriptures? John 3, 16, you know the best way to get a good dose of a scripture's meaning is to just start looking at all the other scriptures that can feed it, that can undergird it, that can strengthen its power to bless you. And you know, as you get to looking around, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and the son was willing to go and die on the cross. But you guys, we look at it, and we focus on it at Easter, and we think about it so much, and it's also true. He physically took a serious punishment for us by his stripes, by his wounds. We were healed. They beat Jesus physically. They, they, they tormented Jesus, though. They shamed him. They pulled out his beard. They spit in his face. They, they taunted him with their calling him out are you the king of the jews you're the king of the jews come down off the cross and jesus looks at him and says forgive them father for they know not what they do but you know the greatest thing that's hard to comprehend is that yes that was the physical punishment he took but he took our spiritual punishment don't ever forget that while jesus was on the cross he said my god my god why have thou forsaken me for a moment in time The son, the second person in the triune God, felt forsaken by the father. He took what we should have felt. And he took on that which is the most thing I dread most. Since I got saved, since I know what it's about to have God in your life. How many of you want to be separated? How many of you would go back to pre-Calvary before you met Jesus And go back to church without true salvation. I don't know about y'all, but the greatest thing about salvation to me, yeah, I'm getting to go to heaven. Yes, I'm going to get to go up there in the land, Beulah land, the land of milk and honey, the land that's proposed. But the greatest thing is not where I'm going to get to live out eternity, but the one who gave it to me, a relationship. I don't know about y'all, but God talks to me. He speaks to me. He guides me. He comforts me. He gives me a peace that I can't make up on my own. It's beyond understanding. It happened, and it's real, and it ain't always there to wake. I wish it was, but when I'm a about to give up when I think it's about as far as I can go he shows up and he confirms that I'm a living God I'm with you I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you I don't want to ever live another day without that God but Jesus who had never felt one second of all of eternity being separated was willing to take on all of our sins that's unbelievable just my sin Lord is enough I can't know how you took it But he took your sin and my sin and his sin and your sister's sin and that neighbor's sin and everybody's sin was placed upon Jesus. And the wrath of God was poured out on him. The Bible says that it was such is that the sky turned darkest night from 12 noon to 3 o'clock. The ground shook. And when he finally said to you, I commend my spirit. 
The father took him home. And friends, I don't know about y'all, but they took an awful price to pay the cost for me and you to be saved this morning. And I can't do it justice. I can't ever, ever tell you the, the depths of God's love that he would pay a price like that for us. But I don't know about y'all. If he did that, surely he's going to get me past these problems we see today. Can I get an amen? I ain't worried about midterms. I'm looking to him. I ain't worrying about who stands with who. I'm worried about does he stand with me? How can I get an amen? Because if I got Jesus, I'm going to be all right and you are too. What we need to get back to is telling people this great story again instead of asking them who you're voting for. We ought to get back to saying, who do you love? Who do you serve? And is his name Jesus? Because Jesus loves you. And we need to share this wonderful message again that God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. Why is that important? Because whoever believes in him shall not perish. Friends, there's a judgment coming. With these people that we look at that we think, how could they do this? How could they live this way? How could they turn so far from God? How could they take God out of the schools and prayer out of the little children's lives and replace them with reading to them with you-know-whats nowadays? And How can they get so mixed up that they don't even know what bathroom to use? When God made it simple, we just sang about it. It ain't hard. Jesus loves me. This I know. Because my Bible tells me so. Man, that solves every problem you'll ever face. And Jesus reunites us. When you get right with God, you won't have a problem with nobody else. He'll fix it. And so today as we look at this, (laughs) the cost of salvation. And if this salvation is so real, if this love is so sure and so unconditional, why is so many people... Not being saved and benefited from it. May I tell you the problem is not with the product. It's not with God's salvation. The problem is not that God's salvation may not be unconditional. There's some brothers that will preach it is. That God chooses some and not others. But my Bible tells me. And it reminds me again in this verse. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That who so ever the bible tells me that god desires for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth so god's will is for everybody in this room to be saved washed in the blood filled with the holy ghost living in communion with him in a relationship with him where he's able to now bless you and strengthen you by his grace and change your life as he transforms you in the image of his son jesus and give you the life he created you because now he's redeemed you and he saved you and God wants to be at work in every person's life but when you look around he's in work in few people's life it seems like don't it but you see the problem is that even though God's love is unconditional and his salvation is unconditional it's for whosoever the problem is with uh, he who believes (laughs) he who believes shall not perish see the belief is way more than what most people think it is when we look at this to believe is more than an intellectual awareness that christ exists it's more than an intellectual awareness that he came and lived on the earth 
It's more than just being aware that he died on the cross. There ain't many people we run in contact with that aren't aware that Jesus lived and that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again. And supposedly Jesus is Lord and he's over everything. They're aware, but it's, it's even more than a moral agreement. Not only am I aware Jesus came, I morally agree with him. I believe he's right. I believe his teachings are true. And I believe he's righteous and just. And I even believe he's the only way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. But it's it got to be more than just an awareness. It's more than an agreement. You see, to get saved, your belief has to be an internal acceptance from the heart. It's got to be so real that just like we sang, Lord, I want to give you everything. Lord, I am giving you everything. I'm coming with all my heart. I'm believing in you. I'm trusting you. You see, it means putting our trust and our confidence in Christ that he alone can save us, that he alone loves us enough to take care of us. And Lord, no matter where I go, no matter what valley I'm in, no matter what mountain I'm on, I'm going to praise you, whether it's hard or whether it's good. I'm going to praise you when everything is wonderful. I'm going to praise you when things are hard because you're the God on the mountain that means you're still the God in the valley and Jesus I ain't got nowhere else to go but you I'm trusting you with all my heart you see it means to have a firm faith to accept trustfully in Jesus to be fully convinced that he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do it means to place our confidence completely in him wholeheartedly to accept him and his offer and God says everyone who believes in him shall not perish. The condition of salvation, my friend, is unconditional. But apparently, if you look, the condition of how you believe has conditions. These people who just want to add Jesus to a sinful life and go about business as usual, get their little fire insurance. I don't know about you, but when Jesus got me, he got everything, even the parts I didn't want to give him at first. And I ain't gave him everything yet, but I don't know about you. He's relentless in his work. I understand what Paul said when he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who's at work in you. And he's at work for his will and his good pleasure. Too many people believe you get saved and God's your genie. You tell him what you want. You tell him what he wants you to do. But God is God. And when God saves you, he comes into your life to make you into what he wants you to be. To use you to do what he wants you to do. And friends, I don't know about y'all, but I figured it out. It pays to quit kicking against the goads when Jesus is the goad master. When he's poking you and telling, like yesterday, I can't imagine if I'd have stuck with the sermon I was determined to preach. And I didn't succumb to the, let's go preach about this love, Lord. He sang them songs. I was like, oh, Jesus, thank you that I was able to hear you yesterday. Because I believe there's somebody in here this morning that you're to the place you're ready to give him all your heart. You're tired of playing half Christian, half commitment. Jesus will never be second, my friend. He's first. And he deserves preeminence. He desires preeminence. He's worthy of preeminence. First place. If he was willing to shed his blood, to give his life, to leave heaven, come down here and live amongst us so that he could save us, if he saves us, certainly he deserves for us to say, Lord, here I am. 
Make me a living sacrifice. Help me to live for you, Lord, because you was willing to die for me. But guys, listen, the unbelievable thing about God's salvation, it's the, 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 the cause. He loves us, loves the world, the cost, the condition of salvation. If you don't believe me, just look at the scriptures. We like to read just parts of them. But he says right here in chapter 3 and verse 16 where we're looking, Right below that, God says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But then look at what he says. He who believes in him is not condemned. If you believe in Jesus, you're not going to be condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And I want you to look around. We're not judging people. Only God knows their hearts. But there's a whole lot of people who don't seem to have much of a love for God anymore. How could they know his love and live their whole life as if he's not even part of the equation? Much less the Lord of their life. Now we are supposed to look at fruit. Jesus said we'll know them by their fruits. And we all make mistakes, but I want you to look at this next verse, and I want to take a moment to explain it. In verse 19, he says, and this is the condemnation. That's what we saved from perishing. Those who believe in Jesus shall not perish. You're not going to perish. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're under condemnation. You're already perishing. And look at what he says right there. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds was evil. And the truth of the matter is, the only thing that I can find after preaching plus over 25 years in three churches that would make someone who understands, who has awareness, who, who not only has awareness, but he claims he's in agreement to not accept it, is because deep down the Holy Spirit works on you and lets you know that when Jesus comes in, there's a lot going to have to come out. <laughs> And friends, I'm not saying that we're perfect, that we are sinless, but I am saying this. You can't practice sinfulness. You can't live an habitual life opposed to what God says is light and righteousness and truth and have a relationship with God because he's holy, he's pure, he's just. Thank God he's merciful and forgiven, but in his mercy and forgiveness, his whole objective is to get the darkness out of you and replace it with the light of his truth and his presence. And friends, listen, if you come to Jesus, you can't live in the world like you used to. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Oh, behold, all things become new. What keeps a man sitting out there is not he don't understand. It's not that he don't agree and know it's the truth. It's because he's not willing to accept it on God's terms. May I tell you, repentance is part of the plan. Jesus preached repentance and faith in the gospel. The apostles preached repentance and faith in Jesus and the gospel. The gospel, my friend, without repentance is a half of a gospel. Because the gospel causes you to repent. And it saves you. And it changes you. Why? Because it's preparing us for where we're going. 
If you see people who are in love with the world so much, they don't have anything to do with the word of God. They're in love so much with the world, they don't have anything to do with the people of God. They're in love with the world so much, they never ever go to the house of God unless it's for a religious person. Maybe a a wedding or funeral. Maybe it's at Christmas. But to be dedicated to be the body of Christ, to give Jesus lordship over their life, but they'll tell you they're a Christian. But friends, listen. Jesus said this, not me, that on that day many will say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not do a lot of good religious things in your name? And God forbid the worst thing you'll ever hear is the one who loved us enough to die for us, the one who loved us enough to to give his life to say, depart from me for I never knew you. You see, God saves us so that we can know him and so that he can know us. And you know what I've come to find? How can you know God and have him in your life and not be thankful, not be grateful, and not somehow want to give him glory and let him use you? I'm a terrible failure. I tell the Lord all the time, Lord, I sure ain't much to work with, but I sure thank you for being willing to work with me. Amen. Here I am. And you know what I find? The Lord ain't looking for people who have all of these abilities and looks oh so wonderful on the outside. He's looking for people who have been broken on the inside, who have a heart to love him because he loved them. He can do more with a person who's got a heart right with him than a church full of people who's halfway committed to him. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, these people, what? Praise me with their lips and they worship me with their mouths but their hearts are far from me and in vain do they worship me because what did he just tell us what's the greatest thing we can give back to God when God gives us the greatest thing he can give to us when he saves us from there out the greatest thing we can do is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart with all of our mind and with all of our strength and our soul that song sums it up he gave us all We sure need to give him all. We need to give him everything, every day. Because no matter what we are giving him, it'll never be enough to pay him back. Because this is the consequences of salvation. We shall not perish, but we will have eternal life. If you ever thought about eternal life, it's not just a quantity of life. And where I come from, the Greek means everlasting You say, what that mean, preacher? It means it ain't never going to stop. It means it's going to go on forever and ever and ever. But it means more than a quantity of life. It it also speaks of a quality of life. You see, people in hell are going to live forever. And you are too if you're lost. The question is, in what condition will you live forever? Will you live with eternal life, the life God wants to give back to you this morning if you're lost? The, God, the life that he gave us that we're just getting a little foretaste of. Ain't it good to have Jesus in your heart? To have Jesus in your life? Can you imagine when we stand in what we've been believing by sight, by faith? I mean, we're going to see by sight and look at Jesus and be with Jesus and all the people of God and gather in his place. Friend, the consequences of salvation is we are saved. We, we are not going to perish. We're going to have eternal life. Eternal life is also 
the God life, the life that we had before sin entered in, when Adam and Eve was in perfect communion in the garden. Remember how it used to be? Oh, Adam and Eve was in the garden. Sometime in the evening, in the cool of the day, the Lord would come walking on by. And they'd be saying, here comes the Lord. Hey, Lord, thank you for this beautiful paradise. We sure enjoying this river of life. This tree of everything of life is so good. But they had one thing they weren't supposed to get. The Lord said, you can have anything in this beautiful place I prepared for you. But what they didn't realize is the greatest thing that was in that place that he prepared for them was him. God. And when God would come by, they'd commune with God. Apparently God would talk to them and they would talk to God. But you know what they did? They took of something that they wasn't supposed to take of. It's a representation of sin. You can believe it's the apple. If that's what God says it is, I'm I'm staying away from apples. Amen. (laughs) But all kidding aside, once they did that, and do you remember what it was like before you got saved? The uncertainty of God and who he was and what he wanted. See, the amazing thing, I grew up in a church system that taught me a lot about God. I had... I acknowledgement, I agreed that God was real and I, I was in agreement with what he said was right and wrong, but I, I didn't understand God. I looked at God as God was just watching me. He was always watching me and, he was, and I was here to perform and try to do better. It was called religion. And when I got saved by grace, one of the hardest things for me to accept was that what God wants to do in my life, I can't earn, I'll never deserve Because I'm saved by grace through faith. And it is not of works, (laughs) but it's a gift. So how do I receive that gift? I don't go earn that gift. If I earned it, it's a payment. But if God just gives it to me, I believe him enough to receive it, to accept it. There's somebody here today. I don't believe God brought him and gave us all these love songs. He's going to come up here. We're going to have an invitation. Change my sermon. Because you have been trying to work for a God. To earn his favor when he already loves you. He's already done everything that could ever be done to save you. And you need to quit trying to appease God by being a good little Baptist or trying to quit doing this and quit doing that, although that's part of it. And just say, Lord, today I accept your salvation. I believe you loved me enough. You loved me enough, Lord, that you sent your only begotten son. You gave him. And I believe he died for me. And Lord, today I'm going to believe and trust and ask you to save me. You know what the Bible says, how you receive salvation? It's a gift. It says, for we believe within our heart under righteousness. You got to believe this in your heart before it's going to make you righteous. What do you believe? You believe Jesus. You believe that he died. You believe that he was buried, that he rose again in your heart. And then Paul says in Romans 10, then you confess with your mouth under salvation and if you believe it in your heart you confess with your mouth and you know what you say it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord what's the Lord's name Jesus shall be saved we got a world out there that's saved that don't know it 
We got a God that loves you where you are. You'll never get good enough. You'll never fix it. You'll never make it where it needs until you just come and say, Lord, I come just as I am. And so I'm going to ask this. We're going to have a time of invitation. I believe there's somebody here and you've been struggling. You're in that despair. You feel like you, today, may I tell you that heaven's reached down. Love's wanting to lift you. Love's wanting to save you. God's here and he died for you and he will give you eternal life if you'll just trust him. So we're going to stand. I'm going to sing. And I'm not talking about joining a youth group or joining a Baptist church. I'm talking about trusting Jesus for salvation. Father in heaven, I pray right now as we sing this song that that person struggling would come and give that burden to you that you'd save them by your grace. Thank you for the love of God that gave his only begotten son so that if we would believe we should not perish but have everlasting life. You might not be lost, but you might have someone lost. Come and pray. Come and kneel at this altar for that lost person and ask God to save them because he loves you. This ain't a time for a snack. This is a time to get right with God if you need to. In Jesus' name, amen.